program may contain mature subject matter. Discretion is advised. All right. So, everyone's hyped about this new movie, Violent Night, that's coming out, starring David Harbour. He's basically playing Hopper in a Santa Claus suit, you know, going on a killing spree. They're saying it's Die Hard meets Home Alone, which I'll leave my Home Alone rants for another time. But here's my thing. I'm excited about the movie. I really am. But there's two other movies that are standing out to me right now that I'm actually more excited about. First one being the mean one in which David Howard Thornton, who's famously known for playing Art the Clown, is going to be playing the Grinch in what the, what the movie is saying. They're like, we're going to tell you how things really went down that night, you know, about the, the whole idea of the Grinch stealing Christmas. Well, he's going to go on a murderous spree in this movie. I'm okay with this. I want to see it. I'm actually really looking forward to it. The other one is Christmas Bloody Christmas, which, in my opinion, when I'm reading the synopsis and hearing about what this movie's about, to me, I'm thinking, like, Chopping Mall meets, like, Santa Slay. <laughs> it just, it sounds funny. It's like a robotic Santa goes on a killing spree, and it's, I'm assuming it takes place in, like, either the late, 80s, early 90s kind of thing and whatnot, done by Joe Bagos, who did BFW and Bliss. You guys remember way back when I reviewed BFW. And, I mean, Joe Bagos, he just, he's got a way of filming things. They look very, like, what do they say? It's like neon splashed. You know, he's, he's really good with colors. And a Christmas movie about a killer robotic Santa Claus. They're saying it's sort of like, you know, the Terminator meets Santa Claus as well. Like for some reason, these two low budget flicks are actually sounding more appealing to me than violent night. But again, I don't want to take away from violent night because I'm definitely looking forward to seeing that too. But it's like, I think this is going to be the year of the low-budget horror flicks being better than the mainstream. I mean, if anything, Terrifier 2, I think, already proved that. How you take the two movies, Halloween Ends and Terrifier 2, and the polar opposite like reception that those movies got. People hate Halloween Ends. There's a few that like it, but 
it seems more like people lean towards the, yeah, that was not what I wanted for, you know, the big epic finale that you guys were saying we were going to get. And then you take Terrifier 2, a movie that was supposed to be meant for strictly Terrifier fans, was not even really supposed to do all that well and ended up having, what, six weeks in the theaters that they did not count on? So I think it's the year of the low budget. I honestly do. I think this is going to be the, not that you guys know, I love low budget flicks. For me personally, that's, that's my thing. But I just see that some of these lower budget flicks that are coming out right now, you know, like Christmas, Bloody Christmas and The Mean One just seem to have a little bit more appeal than something like Violent Night. Although I'm pretty sure Violent Night's still going to rock. I'm, I'm pretty confident about that. But anyways, this week we're going to talk about a movie where, you know, when the idea of there's no more room in hell, the elves will walk the earth. They actually say that in this movie. <laughs> I'm not kidding. From the Next Level Network of Podcasts and Studio Zero. Yes, kids, I'm back, finally, with episode 135 of What Lurks what behind, behind Podcast Zero. Zero. And I am your host, Postmortem Paul. And yeah, I know, it's been a bit. November is always that month where I'm like, yeah, I'm going to be back next week, guys. Don't worry about it. You know, Halloween ends, not the movie, the season. <laughs> um, but you know, Halloween comes to a conclusion and I'm always like, okay, I'll take one week off and then I'll be back. And I don't know what it is about November. It's not that I'm depressed or anything like that. It's nothing like that. It's just, I just don't feel like talking. (laughs) I don't know if it's because October, I do so much of it. I don't know. It's just really weird. It was like, I got nothing to say right now. So I just didn't record. It was Nothing to worry about, like, you know, I'm perfectly fine in my abnormal way, but yeah, just watched a lot of TV, watched football, I watched, okay, I know, you guys are like, this is not a football podcast, yes, but here's the thing, when you're a Bears fan and you don't have much to be happy about, and all of a sudden you have a star quarterback that's breaking records, it was kind of exciting for the month of November, of course he's injured now and probably... Probably not going to play the rest of the season, even though he probably probably could. But, I mean, I think, let's be honest, it, there's no point in putting Justin Fields back in the games because the Bears are going nowhere this season. But, yeah, so there was that. I was excited about that. I was excited about college football, Michigan. Woohoo! They beat Ohio State. Yes, again. Two years in a row. Eat that, Buckeyes. Um... And you're like, again, this is not a football podcast, but I'm getting this out. I, I, for what, four weeks, I've been quiet. It started to fester. So let's got to get some things out. I mean, and let's talk about the stuff I've been watching. Like, okay, so Chucky had its season finale and or, I don't know, sci- sci-fi, Star Wars, who cares? Uh, hello. I don't know if you've watched Andor, but... It is not your Jedi's and Sith's pew-pew kind of Star Wars. No, this is the Star Wars we should have gotten decades ago. Um, and then the new Netflix series, Wednesday, which I was already on board with when I saw the first images and you know saw the first trailer and everything. And, you know, you'd see that internet buzz where it was like, this looks horrible. 
yeah, okay, so hold on. Let's put this all in priority here. So let's start with Chucky. Chucky, uh, season two, uh, definitely. What a fucked up season. <laughs> and it was fucked up in all the right ways. Jennifer Tilly was amazing this season. Uh, Fiona Dorif playing both Nika and Chucky and basically emulating her father's work from previous decades. Come on now, the woman deserves awards. She was awesome this season. The kids, not annoying. That's what I like about this show. I find the kids are not annoying. Um, Chucky, though. Chucky. So we have a season here where it was multiple Chuckies. Everything from a quote-unquote good Chucky. <laughs> that was fucking funny. And then we had the muscle buff. Like, he's like all ripped Chucky. We had the bald Chucky, which... What were they calling him? Was it the general or the, the corporal or something? I, don't know, I can't remember. I'd have to go back and rewatch the whole season, which I will be doing at some point because it was amazing. Um... And not to mention, your season finale is a Christmas episode. So I was like, this is awesome. Because, okay, I know the movie Seed of Chucky is a very polarizing one. There's a lot of people that didn't like it, and there's a lot of people that loved it. It doesn't seem like there's really much of a middle ground with that movie. One of the things I always loved about Seed of Chucky was the whole Christmas scene that was in that movie. Where, you know, it's supposed to be that Chucky and Tiffany, like, kill Santa Claus and whatnot. So this episode is a Christmas episode, and I'm like, yes, finally, we're going back to this. I, And I mean, it was a full Christmas episode, even capped off with a little Christmas song that Chucky was singing, basically the 31 days of Christmas or 30 days of Christmas, whatever the hell it was he was singing about, and he's talking about all the kills from the past season and whatnot, and it, it was just... There was something about that finale that I loved how, okay, so, and I'm not going to spoil all of it because I know there's some of you that may have not seen it yet, but the part I loved about the finale was that it starts off almost too good to be true. You know, I mean, yeah, they had their, their moments where like, you know, Lexi's talking with her mother and she has to brave it up and, you know, tell her how she's really felt, you know, the past two years and whatnot. It had sort of like that Hallmark feel to it though. And the whole time that's going on, you know, Chucky's really not coming around because if you knew from the penultimate episode from before, <laughs> they basically tried to make you think that, you know, Almost all forms of Chucky were gone. <laughs> no. What is it? Is it Child's Play 3? Where Chucky says, I always come back. I always find a way to come back. Well, he does. Um, I mean, because seriously, how could... You, you're not going to go into an idea of having a Chucky series and have it be two seasons long and go, okay, we're done. No, that wasn't going to happen. We knew <laughs> this was going to continue. So... As much as the penultimate episode made, you know, tried to make it look like there was no more Chuckies, we all knew there had to be a Chucky somewhere. Um, and the twist with Lexi's sister is fucking awesome. If you haven't seen it, you will love it because it's like, what just happened? Um, 
yeah, the the whole season two of Chucky, the second season of Chucky, was a lot of fun. At times, it seemed weird. I loved how it was self-aware. Like, okay, we brought back Devin Sawa for a second season after he played two characters in the first season that both were killed. So it's like, how are they bringing him back a third time? And nobody thinks this is weird. And then, of course, Jake says, he reminds me of my dad. And it's like, thank you. (laughs) We acknowledge that. Um, there, There was so much to love about this season of Chucky that, I don't know, like... I. And my notes for Chucky right now, literally all I have written is Chucky season finale. I I didn't write notes because I the whole season was just a lot of fun. And if you're not finding the fun in it, I think you're taking it too seriously. That's honestly what I can say about this this show. If if by this point we were talking seven movies and now two seasons of a TV series, if you haven't figured out by now not to take it seriously, even though I love that they throw little glimpses of social commentary in there without actually overhamming it. It's not dictating to you how you should think or anything like that. It's just more or less saying, this is the world we live in. This is what is going on right now. And Chucky's not an asshole about it. <laughs> he's an asshole about killing people, but he's he's not that guy that's gonna judge he's sort of like has no discrimination thing going where it's just like i'm gonna kill you i'm gonna kill you but i'm gonna do it having fun doing it and it i just i like the fact that i when i watch this show i don't feel like i don't feel like it's a chore as a matter of fact it's what i look forward to you know um like what is it it was airing every wednesday night Thursday morning after I get done work and I'm like at home within the first hour of me being home, I'm watching this episode. Like it's, it's something that I I looked forward to. And I like that. I like that. It made me want to keep watching that every episode ended on, you know, the kind of cliffhanger that it was like, it, how do you explain cliffhangers? Because when I think about it, like some of them are done really well, and some of them it's like, okay, you're trying too hard. And I think that's where I'm kind of going with this, is that with Chucky, it never felt like it was trying too hard. It was just like, okay, we've had this episode. We're going to drop this little nugget, and we'll see you next week. <laughs> and they did it so well week after week. I actually really like that about the show. But I think overall, probably the one thing, if there's anything to take away from the past two seasons of Chucky, I love that it doesn't take itself seriously. It knows it's a show about a killer doll, and it just goes with it. And I really like that. I love that Jennifer Tilly hams it up. The kids are great. Um, Like, and Andy Barkley, we found a way to make sure he didn't die because we know we didn't see a body at the end of season one when supposedly he died. So he came back, um, you know, they brought back uh, his stepsister, uh, Kyle, like it, so much was done just very well this season. And I, I'm because I'm that guy, I won't go into, you know, details and start harping and whatnot, but I did like sort of the anti-religious thing they were doing this season. I kind of like that because just, just because it speaks to me, let's put it that way. I don't want to get all into details and whatnot. If you haven't watched the Chucky 
season two of Chucky. Um, definitely do it. I don't want to talk too much more about it because I'm going to end up spoiling some really cool shit, and I don't want to do that. Moving on to Andor, which was that series. Okay, so some people, are, you know, they like their Disney Plus. Some don't. Some are like, ah, fucking Disney this and that. Okay, whatever. And then there's the Star Wars ranting, which has just been more than annoying. Um, <laughs> and then Andor comes along. And it was, I'm not going to lie, I was that same guy. That, you know, when it first came out, I was like, okay, is there really a reason why we're doing this? I I loved Rogue One. I really did. But I didn't feel the, I didn't understand the necessity to have a prequel about Cassian Andor. I was like, okay, well, whatever. I mean, yeah, he was a cool character and all, but do we really need this? Dave Filoni gets praised as being one of the Star Wars geniuses that just constantly makes great content. John Favreau, same thing with The Mandalorian. I'd like to throw Tony Gilroy's name into that mix now because he's given us both Rogue One and this first season of Andor, and I can't wait for season two. You gave us a Star Wars series where there's no Skywalkers. I mean, there's mention of Vader, but we don't see him. No Palpatines, no Pew Pews, no lightsaber fights. As a matter of fact, like, there's, like, what they did with Andor, it, it was almost mind-blowing because the first two episodes of the season were really, really slow. And I'm, I almost didn't watch the third because remember, okay, for those of you who remember and those of you who don't, I'm going to say this. Andor, when it first premiered, they gave us the first three episodes. I watched the first two and I was like, I don't know. Like, do I really want to keep watching this or not? And I remember I took a break and I went to work that night. And while I was at work, one of my friends that had watched, he had watched all three episodes. He said, no, no, no. Watch the third. He goes, the third will bring the first two all together. It'll bring it all together. And I said, all right. I said, and I told him, I said, I wasn't going to give up on the show. I just didn't really feel the need to, you know, watch it all at once. And he's like, no, no, no. He goes, hey, you watch that third episode. Trust me, you will want to keep watching. He was not wrong. Uh, I watched that third episode. And after that, it was a weekly thing. As soon as it would drop. I mean, I was at work when it would first premiere on Disney Plus. So it was like when I got home in the morning, it's the first thing I did. I'd watch Andor. And. I gotta say, you gave us a Star Wars series that was tailored for adults. You gave us a Star Wars series that made the Empire seem menacing. Okay, so this has been an ongoing joke for decades about how stormtroopers couldn't shoot. They're like the red shirts of, you know, it, what was, no, the, the joke is the stormtroopers could never hit the red shirts of Star Trek. And. Well, one of them's got to die somewhere. And you know how you'd see all those memes on the internet and whatnot. Stormtroopers became a joke. They were not menacing. They were not scary. Um, and I mean, unless it was, you know, Darth Vader or Darth Maul or Emperor Palpatine, you really didn't fear the Empire. Like, all the generals and the captains and whatnot, they seemed like they were just fodder for, oh, well, we lost the rebels again. I'll go suck it up this time and Vader will kill me this time. Like, 
The Empire never seemed menacing. And then we get Andor, and it's like, oh my god. Some of the torture techniques they were showing them due to the, like, you know, for interrogations. And, oh, I didn't write, again, didn't write down notes, so I'm going to forget actors' names, and I apologize for that. But the one main female, and I know those of you who remember names are like, you son of a bitch, can't you remember names? No, I'm horrible. (laughs) Um, But Dina Mira, is that her name? I could be completely wrong on that. But anyways, she was amazing. I have to say that her character was just like so evil. And again, here's the thing. They gave us a female antagonist and didn't feel the need to shove it down our throats that she was female. She just did what she did. And it was like, yes, this is how you write stories. You just let the characters do what they're going to do. Let us make the judgment as to who they are and why they're doing it and how well they're doing it. Then there's, okay, again, trying to avoid spoilers because I realize not everyone may have watched this show yet. There is two episodes that absolutely stand out as goosebump-inducing uh, episode 10 and episode 12, episode 10 alone, the episode's called one way out. This is an episode where Andy circus, yes, Gollum is in this, um, between him and Diego Luna, who plays Cassian Andor. And then you have Stellan Skarsgård playing Luthen. These three actors were absolutely. Fucking lutely amazing in that episode. So much as that I gave the episode myself, I gave it a 10 out of 10. I, I was mind blown by it. And then, of course, I do that thing where it's like, okay, what's the rest of the world think here? Let's go read the bitching online. This was the first time I'd ever seen a, a TV episode that, even when criticized, the lowest mark they gave it was a 7 out of 10. I mean, I, I was shocked. I thought for, I, I was waiting for it. I was like, there's going to be some stupid idiot on the internet somewhere that's going to like nitpick a plot hole or something. No, like everybody was raving about it. And like I said, even the people that were criticizing it for, you know, somewhat being predictable or whatever, were like, it's still amazing TV. This is seven out of 10, even though I'm criticizing it, it's still that good. It was that good. And then. I don't want to ruin it, but in the final seconds of that episode, Stellan Skarsgård gives an Oscar award winning performance in a monologue that is right up there with Mia Goth's fucking monologue in Pearl. It was so good. Like I had goosebumps on my arms just watching his performance. I was like, Give this man all the awards right now. And I'm we're talking Star Wars, okay? Star Wars, aside from special effects, really doesn't get noted for, you know, being award-worthy. I mean, or John Williams' score. Of course, that always gets, you know, nominated. But it's like, this was the performance of the ages. And then we get the season finale, which was episode 12. And that was amazing. And I'm like, wow, like... For a show that started off with two episodes that had me going, I don't see if 
I don't I don't see the point in like rushing to watch this show and then watching the third episode and going, okay, I'm gonna hang on for a while to the last three episodes blowing my mind and I'm like, okay. We need more of this. I can't wait for season two. I honestly can't. Like, And then, if you really want it, this is what I did. Before I watched the season finale, I went and watched Rogue One again. Let me tell you something. Now that we have backstory to Cassie and Andor, that movie is so much more engaging and captivating than it already was. And it was already a great movie. Ah, uh, Yeah, I know. Some people complain that, you know, well, Vader looks amazing in that movie, but then we get to A New Hope and he looked pathetic. Okay, well, keep in mind times when it was filmed. Uh, <laughs> but watching Rogue One after watching the first season of Andor, and like I said, I watched it before watching the season finale, but anyways, it is so much more engaging. I I, I know I use that word now twice, but... It was. It felt like it was a better movie. It really did. And I'm like, I'm now kind of really glad we did this. Like, <laughs> for being a series that when it was even when it was announced, I was like, okay, Andor, who cares? You know, it just didn't pull me. And then watching this season, I'm like, this is, this is the Star Wars I've been waiting for for years. And I think I even said that when Rogue One came out. I said, you know, that was the movie I'd been waiting for for years. Yeah, the sequel trilogy, it it can just go away because (laughs) the original trilogy, Rogue One and this Andor series, and then, of course, the Mandalorian as well. Let's not forget that. I love that series as well. There is some good Star Wars out there. There's definitely some worthwhile content. Finally, I'm going to quit. I've been talking already a lot and I haven't even gotten into the movie yet. Wednesday. The new Netflix series from Tim Burton starring Jenna Ortega. And I have two episodes left. I'm slowly going through it. And I'm slowly going through it, not because I want to, but because... Well, I it is because I want to, but what I mean is, is I love it. And <laughs> I want it to last. So it's been like, watch three episodes, stop. Watch three episodes, stop. I have two left. There's eight episodes. I love it. Uh, Jenna Ortega is... She's going to be a new uh, Scream Queen for sure. Um, already been in movies like X and the the Scream 5 or whatever you want to call it. She's already been in those. Um, and she Her Wednesday Adams is amazing, guys. It really, really good. She does deadpan so well. Um, I, I have seen some criticisms. Uh, towards the show, you know, some people are saying they felt like it was too much like uh, Sabrina or Harry Potter. There's been a lot of those um, references and comparisons and whatnot. Yeah, okay, I'm not gonna lie. It's Wednesday Adams in high school, and she's going, you know, doing the investigative, investigative like you know, detective work, sort of like Scooby Doo. I know it got, it, you know, that comparison has come up, but it's like the Scooby Gang, Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Okay, whatever it is what it is. Yeah, it's sort of piggybacking on all those kinds of shows, but it's doing its own thing as well. And if there's any question, I know, especially when the images first came out and everyone was, you know, bitching about Catherine Zeta Jones and. Um, Louise Guzman as Morticia and Gomez. 
I wasn't even after the first episode. I wasn't too sure. I was like, hey, I mean, I don't want to judge too soon. We didn't get a lot of them in the first episode. I believe it's the fifth episode. They are very much a part of the story. And okay, I'm all, I'm on board. I, I love it. I, I, I think they... Catherine Zeta-Jones actually really impressed me. Um, a lot more than I thought she would. And her Morticia is... It's not Carolyn Jones. It's not Angelica Houston. She's sort of doing her own thing, but it works. And I'm okay with that. Um, but Jenna Ortega is definitely stealing the show, by far. The, the supporting cast around her is great as well. It, a lot of the different characters and whatnot. And there are some characters all good, but you have to admit if she didn't work, this show doesn't land. She is a perfect Wednesday Adams. And yes, of course, Christina Ricci is one of the teachers at the school and she's a doll as always. Um, yeah. Wednesday is great. I, I I can't comment a whole lot on it because I'm not even done it myself. Like I said, I have two episodes left that I'm saving uh, probably for tonight after I'm done finished, you know, after I'm done recording this. But um, I do like what I'm seeing so far. And as for Cabinet of Curiosities, I'm halfway through that. The only reason why I didn't finish it is because Wednesday dropped and I was like, I really want to see that. So I will get back to Cabinet of Curiosities and give you my final thoughts on that. I will say, though, the first four episodes, they were good. Now, let's move on to the movie world. Enough TV talk. It's time to move into the world of elves. This is a 1989 flick. It's a dumpster fire, but do we love it? That's the thing. Sometimes these movies can be so bad, they're great. Sometimes they're so schlocky, it feels like I'm watching something Fred Olin Ray would have released. I don't know. This was, um, this is a weird movie. This has history with me, though. So, trailer time out, and when we return, we will go back to 1989 to a VHS premiere of a movie that has Nazis, an elf, and Grizzly Adams as a mall Santa. Yeah. <laughs> this happens, kids. Back in a splat. An innocent romp in the woods turns into a hellish nightmare when an evil force is accidentally awakened. Action International Pictures presents the gruesome holiday shocker. Elves. They're not working for Santa anymore. I'm on a rough day at work. Santa got murdered. Their mission to mate with a virgin and conquer the world as a pint-sized master race. I'm saving it for someone special. Dan Haggerty stars as Mike McGavin, an ex-detective working on hard times. First you stand and then you die. She is the most important person on Earth. From her will grow the new order. Santa must expose this unholy force before the elves destroy Christmas. Jesus Christ. 
looking for Santa anymore. All right, welcome back, everyone. After that wonderful trailer for this week's featured review. And remember, kids, I watch the bad movies, so you don't have to. This may be one of those cases where I might actually recommend you watch this one. We'll see. Okay, so, Elves. If only there were more than one. But anyways, Elves was released October 24th, 1989. It was a video premiere. Now, I guess it had a, like a limited theatrical run, but nothing that actually generated much gross profits. So <laughs> we don't really talk about it. More or less, this is a direct-to-video release. Um, directed by Jeff Mandel. Okay, so, Jeff. Jeff worked on a movie called Cyber C-H-I-C, or Cyber Chick. And that wonderful gem starred Kathy Shower and Burt Ward. Burt Ward, yes, Robin from the 1960s Batman. Jeff also had a TV series that ran from 1990 to 1992 called Super Force, which actually, I never saw it, but I actually did hear about it, and some people said it wasn't all that bad. Um, I know even like IMDb, I think it had like a rating of like 6.2 out of 10 or something, so for... Because, okay, Jeff. I talked about Cyber CHIC which was also known as Robo CHIC or Robo Chick. You can see they were cashing in on the whole RoboCop thing. Um, anyways, apparently that movie was about a cyborg crime-fighting woman who was meant to look like a Playboy playmate. And her mission was to stop drug smugglers, pimps, motorcycle gangs, bombers, you name it, she will be there to stop it. So... <laughs> When you're thinking about Jeff Mandel's like body of work, which really wasn't a lot, but there is some there, keep that movie in mind to gauge the kind of quality that Jeff offered to the cinematic world. I'm not knocking him. Hey, he did more in movie and film than I ever will. So <laughs> I'm not knocking him. It's just he sort of did more of the... Z-grade material, if you want to go that route. Um, the writers for Elves were Jeff Mandel, along with Mike Griffin and Bruce Taylor. Mike Griffin, this was his only film he wrote on. I think he only did like a few editing tweets to it and whatnot. And Bruce, Bruce was... Okay, so here's an interesting one for you. So Bruce Taylor was also a writer for the 2000 film The Brave One. Uh, the Brave One was a film that starred Jodie Foster and was directed by Neil Jordan. And in case you're wondering, Neil Jordan, the name sounds familiar. He directed movies like The Company of Wolves and Interview with the Vampire. So Bruce actually did move up out of the the lower budget frame of work. Um, he, he made a name for himself. Uh, Jeff Mandel, Elves. <laughs> <laughs> I, he's done other stuff. Don't get me wrong, but it just this for me is this is something else. There's a story behind this. So, 
Uh, the producer for Elves was Mark Paglia, and he also did movies like Alien Seed and Laser Moon. Yep. Cinematography was done by Ken Carmack, and this was the first of five projects he worked on. He also worked on Alien Seed and Laser Moon as well, uh, along with Mark. And Ken's final film that he worked on was a movie called Decapitated. And I only mention that because the tagline for that movie, it, it just made me giggle, where it was like, where your sleeping bag becomes a body bag. And I'm like, it's kind of clever in a cheesy kind of way, but it was still kind of clever. Um, so the elf in this film, uh, designer and sculptor of the elf was Vincent J. Guastini. And I mentioned him because his start came on the set of actually one of my favorite movies, Spookies. He then followed that up with Doom Asylum, which is another of my favorites. I was like, wow, this guy did movies I loved. Uh, afterwards, though, he would go on to work on like films like Child's Play 3, Super Mario Brothers. We all know how much I love that one. Uh, the Last of the Mohicans. He worked on Thinner. He worked with Kevin Smith on films like Dogma and Jay and Silent Bob Strike Back. And then there's other titles he worked on, like Deranged, which I talked about way back when. Uh, Hannibal. He worked on uh, two other Christmas films, uh, Sleigh Bells and Silent Night. So some of those are lower budget. Some of them are higher budget films. Like, you know, Last of the Mohicans is no, not a movie to joke about. So, and Kevin Smith films, you know, he's linked to Kevin Smith. It's like, that's kind of cool. Uh, and then some of the close-up shots of the elf in this movie were done by a man by the name of Ken Brilliant. He's the one that sculpted those close-up close, close -up shots. Uh, he also started his career on the set of Spookies, and he would go on to other films like Street Trash, Batman Returns, Last of the Mohicans. Um, I mentioned this for those of you who are SNL fans, Coneheads. He worked on that one. He worked on Interview with the Vampire. Worked on the movie Congo and the Island of Dr. Moreau. So, again, some of these guys, they didn't just stay in the low-budget fields. They moved their way up. And then our composer. The composer for this wonderful film. His name was Vladimir Horunzi. I think I'm saying that right. It's a Russian name, so I apologize if I'm saying it wrong. Um, anyways, he did... Uh, he didn't do a lot of work, but he did um, some of the... He was uncredited, so that's why I wanted to mention this. He did a bit of the composer work for The Return of the Living Dead Part 2, which was the sequel to one of the most amazing horror comedies of all time. Uh, he also worked on the movie Inner Space. He worked on the soap opera Santa Barbara. Uh, I think he did... What it was... He was, he was a composer... Added composing elements to one episode of Stargate SG-1, and he worked on the Rugrats movie, as well as Children of the Corn 666. Uh, <laughs> I had to mention that. Uh, in terms of the Elves' score, the soundtrack was actually released on vinyl this year, in 2022, uh, through Terror Vision Records. And it's one that I scored and was very happy to do so. <laughs> the score is a highlight. I will talk more about that later. Let's move on to our... <clears throat> let me clear my throat on this one. Uh, our starring cast for this movie. Um, <laughs> starring, yes. Uh, okay, so... 
We'll start off with Mike McGavin. Mike McGavin is our supposed Santa Claus in this. He's a he's apparently a detective who he lost his job. They they hint at the fact that he you know drowned his sorrows in the bottle kind of thing. So he he was suspended or fired or whatever. It's, sometimes it's never clear with these things. Anyways, he's played by Dan Haggerty and. I'm old enough just to remember this, so <laughs> this is where I show my age. For those of you who remember the TV sensational hit Grizzly Adams, I believe it was James Grizzly Adams was the name of the character. Yeah, Dan Haggerty played him. And like I said, Grizzly Adams was something that was very famous in the 70s. The TV hit. You'll see it sometimes on like uh, those classic TV channels, like TV Land or classic TV and stuff. Like that. And they'll show reruns of Grizzly Adams. That's Dan Haggerty was the main character of that. He did pass away in 2016, though, so that's a bummer. But yeah, he plays the character of Mike McGavin. Moving on to Julie Austin, she is our lead actress in this film. She plays the character of Kirsten. She was only an actress up until 1993 and then dipped out of acting for whatever reason. I I apologize. I don't know why. Um, <laughs> I couldn't find anything. But uh, she also worked on projects like Fatal Exposure, Twisted Justice, and she worked on the TV series Super Force that Jeff Mandel was behind as well. Uh, moving on to Deanna Lund as Kirsten's mother. Yeah, here's something for you. Here's a little bit of trivia for you all, you little comic book nerds out there. She worked on both DC and Marvel TV shows. Yes, she she was one of those actresses that, you know, sort of like Ryan Reynolds has been in DC and Marvel. Well, she did the same, except not exactly the same because <laughs> she was uh, on the TV, um, what do they call it, sitcom, whatever, the series. Uh, for the 1960s Batman, she played the character of Anna Graham. Uh, that was in two episodes. And then she uh, dipped over to Marvel when she was in The Incredible Hulk in 1978, playing a character by the name of Terry Ann. It was in one episode. So she did them both, DC and Marvel. Uh, in 2015, she worked on a movie called Boned. And I bring that up because she the, the movie Boned starred the actress Bay Ling. And if that name rings a bell, you're going ching, ching, ching. You can hear the chimes going. Yeah, it's because uh, Bay Ling was the one who played Top Dollar's uh, female companion, a.k.a. sister, uh, in the movie The Crow. If you remember, uh, Top Dollar had, and he even made the, the joke about, that's my sister. And uh, uh, what was it? The the pawn shop guy was like, that's your sister? And he's like, what, you don't see the resemblance? And yeah. Anyways. That's her. She was in that, and she worked with Deanna Lund in a movie in 2015 called Boned. Bora Silver as Kirsten's grandfather. Um, he had a lot of TV roles, but the one role that stood out to me in film was that uh, he played the theater manager in Escape from New York. So he was in that. Uh, Christopher Graham plays Kirsten's brother, Willie. One role. That's it. No, actually, he had a second role, but it was like some like minor uncredited role in a TV show. Uh, but this was basically his big, st his big, you know, 
link to fame and stardom. Uh, the next two, Laura Lixton as Brooke and Stacy Dye as Amy. Both of them, this is their only acting role. I have no clue why. <laughs> really, I, I have no clue. Um, yeah, if you've seen this movie, you know why. Okay, Mansell Rivers Bland as Ruben Krau or Ruben Kraus or whatever. He's sort of like the Nazi leader in this movie. More known for his work in the art department, though. Not really known for his acting. Uh, he did uh, some of the artwork for the films uh, Time Bandits and The Lady in White. And here's a nice little trivia nugget for you. He also worked on the Atari 2600 video game for Raiders of the Lost Ark. How cool is that? Anyways, the runtime for this movie is 89 minutes long. It's rated PG-13 for language, violence, and some nudity. The budget? Who the fuck knows? Gross? If only. I wish this movie was gross. Uh, <laughs> well, some of the ideas are. But, um, yeah, there's nothing... I couldn't tell you financial things about this movie. There was nothing. Um, I mean, let's keep in mind, that this movie, <laughs> it's really under the radar. The synopsis for this film is basically this. A young woman discovers that she is the focus of an evil Nazi experiment involving selective breeding and summoned elves. That should say elf. An attempt to create a race of supermen. She and two of her friends are trapped in a department store with an elf and only Dan Haggerty as the renegade loose cannon Santa Claus can save them now. Is he really Santa Claus, though? That's a thing. But anyways, uh, for this segment, I call this They Aren't Working for Santa Anymore. Because it's really, really hard to find stuff on this movie. Um, And I'll explain why. So here's the thing. It was released on VHS. Uh, 1994. Yeah. I thought it was earlier than that, though. I think this trivia is wrong. <laughs> because it seems to me I saw it in, like, early 90s. But suppose... Uh, yeah, it says 1994. All right, well, whatever. I could have swore it was earlier than that. I know, like, the, the limited theatrical release was 1989. But, I mean, it was, like, really limited. Like, there, there wasn't much on it. But then I could have swore it was on VHS in 1990. Maybe I typed this wrong. I don't fucking know. It was released by AIP Home Video. Anyways, and as of 2022, see, this is why these facts are very muddled because to this point, no DVD release, no Blu-ray release. And if you have it on DVD, which I kind of do, um, it's a bootleg version, basically a VHS rip put on a DVD. Luckily, I got it at a thrift store <laughs> and I paid two bucks for it. So it didn't hurt my bank any, but... There is, yeah, a DVD version of it. It's not official at all. Um, but yeah, this pretty much, if you have seen this, you've either seen it on late night TV when, like, you know, most people weren't watching TV, or you saw it on the VHS, which, okay. So the thing with this movie is the, the first off, the whole idea of this movie was based on the idea they were going to cash in on the Joe Dante film. 
that had all that huge hype and craze. Remember that one called Gremlins? Yeah, <laughs> they tried to do that. They wanted to build it, build on the hype of that. So, hey, let's take some small type of menacing creature, throw in some Yuletide shenanigans, and the movie should be a hit, right? I mean, right? You would think. No. Um, and the thing is, is that, this is why I got confused about when it was released because I could have swore I picked this up in the early 90s. Maybe it was mid 90s. The memory is fuzzy. It's what happens with old age kids. But um, it was a VHS rental that I did pick up, though. I remember getting it at Top Gun Video. So see, I remember where I rented it from. Um, And it wasn't this was one of those that it wasn't based on the artwork because the artwork, honestly, is just like it's uh, like a gift with an elf arm kind of like pulling the ribbon off of it coming out of the box. It's really not that appealing. It's not horrible, but it's not amazing. But it was the synopsis that grabbed me. The premise of a mall Santa going up against elves. It just grabbed me. Like I was like, and this, this just is cheese and it's glorious. I mean, we're talking Nazis in a horror movie. That's always a fun thing in movies. Am I right? I mean, and like I said, I'm just old enough to remember Grizzly Adams from TV. Obviously not the Adams I like him to be from, because we all know I'm a huge Adams family fan. But no, Grizzly Adams, you know, lived out in the wilderness, fought bears and shit. I don't know. And I vaguely remember it, but I do remember it. So how could I pass up on this movie? I read the back of the box and I'm like, this sounds like cinematic gold. It just, it had all the ingredients of a kick-ass B-movie that I just had to see. And then I saw the movie. Want to move on to the quick eight? Yeah, let's move on to the quick eight. So, (laughs) point number one about Elves. It looks like a straight-to-video VH release. And apparently it had a theatrical limited run, so... I don't know. I don't know how they put that up on the screen and made it look good. I don't know. It, it, okay, better quality than movies like Things or The Woodchipper Massacre? Yes. Not that much better, but a bit better. Might give Cradle of Fear a run for its money, um, but Cradle of Fear has better gore. I'm not going to lie. This movie is sort of lacking on the gore. I mean, there's a bit, but there's not a lot. Uh, point number two, the acting. Yeesh. Um Okay, let's I'm gonna be honest here and it's the Yuletide spirit I'm in I'm feeling that Christmas mood this year so let's be giving here okay Dan Haggerty might be the only one who gives off a genuine acting attempt in this he's actually trying you can tell Julie Austin she could get thrown into that conversation as well but there's times in this film where even she feels like she has that fuck my life why am I doing this vibe to her like and the two friends, okay, so <laughs> because I mentioned, you know, Laura and Stacy, this is their only acting role, right? And the reason why is because when they're on the screen, it's some rough shit to deal with. It's rough. Uh, Deanna Lund, she plays, you know, the mother. She plays Kirsten's mother. Okay, so spoilers. Um, <laughs> she has a moment in the film where she kills a cat. It's kind of funny. And this is the thing, because you know she didn't actually kill a cat. What happens is, like, she's, like, feeding... She feeds the cat, puts the cat in a pillowcase, goes over to the toilet, puts the pillowcase in the toilet, and keeps pushing it down until the cat stops meowing. It's fucking hilarious. 
And she's trying to, she's actually kind of good at it too, at being like that mom bitch that you just, she, she's the mother, she's a bitch, you hate her. And then you find out her backstory through the story that grandfather tells, and you almost have to empathize with her a little bit. Once you find out the twist regarding the, the, the grandfather or her father, anyways, and then her and her daughter, Kirsten, and there's like that whole twist, which you, anyways. Um, so, yeah, so it's like her character's kind of interesting. Uh, the acting is not good, but her character's interesting in the fact that she's like, like I said, she's the mom bitch you hate. And then you find out sort of why she's like that. And it's like, uh, okay, I kind of feel bad for you uh, a little bit. But then there's point number three where I say the dialogue in this movie. Is it the writing? Is it the delivery? Maybe both? It's just bad. Hilarious. But at the same time, it's bad. I mean, it, like I said way at the beginning of the episode here, like, you know, when there's no more room in hell, the elves will walk the earth. Someone actually says that in this movie. And I'm like, what the fuck? I mean, kudos to the nod to George Romero, maybe, but no, um, <laughs> I don't know. Like, I was like, what? Like, and then Kirsten's friends especially when they get in the department store and like the one is trying on lingerie and they're all like, you know, they're trying the different clothes and stuff, which, okay, I guess girls would do that in a store they broke into in the middle of the night or whatever. But the dialogue between them is just, I don't even know if cringeworthy is like a compliment enough for it. <laughs> like it's just bad. But then does that add to the charm of the film? Because as much as it's bad, like I, I still find myself watching the movie, continuing to watch the movie. I don't know. Um, point number four, the score. Okay, that's actually a high point to this film. I definitely influenced by the synth scores of the 80s horror boom. Uh, John Carpenter-esque, for sure. Um, with a small glimpse of Christmas music. You know, throw it in there a little bit, a little bit. Um, you heard a bit of it, actually at the beginning of this, uh, when I started the review and whatnot. Um, this is one soundtrack. I will say that when terror vision records were releasing it, like I jumped on it. It's like, I remember the music. The music is actually really good. A little bit repetitive. I will say that there are certain elements to the score that get repeated a lot. And, but I mean, I kind of get it because it's usually at the times when the elf is about to make, you know, it, it an appearance in the film. Um, and in case for the, for those of you, okay. The, the soundtrack I believe is still available on vinyl and <clears throat> cassette. Yes. It's on cassette. Yes. You can get it through cassette, uh, but it is on music apps as well. I know it's on Spotify, probably Amazon as well. You know, for those of you who are all about the techie apps and stuff like that, there's an app for that. I know there's an app for everything, but, um, in case you don't, you know, you can't get the physical uh, release of the soundtrack, check it out on the internet. It is there. It's pretty easy to find. But let's move on to point number five, the elf itself. Um, Okay. So kind of like Spookies, I feel this movie, 
okay, because when I, I remember Spooky, Spooky's watching it on VHS just had like it, for some reason it made the special effects look better, I guess, than they actually were. And I feel that if this movie gets a Blu-ray release like Spooky's did at some point in time, it might actually ruin the effect of the special effects in this movie. The elf isn't good, really. Like, it really isn't. Very plastic-looking, very limited in movement. But through the rough-looking VHS veneer of it all, it definitely dons that so-bad-it's-good-in-a-funny-way kind of aesthetic. So it sort of works. I mean, at the same time, that can also be a detracting factor, depending on how you want to approach it. Because it does take away from the fear factor and dives headfirst into the hilariously bad category. But there's just something about it. You can obviously, you know, it's not a real elf. You know, (laughs) it's definitely a plastic sculpture that they're animating and moving around and stuff. And even at that, the puppetry work that went into this, not good. But that's almost, again, does it add charm to the film? Point number six, nothing is scary about this movie. Aside from the poor acting, the bad lighting, the cheap look. The story, though, is not scary. It's fucking ludicrous, but not scary. I mean, I I don't know, like... I know it's supposed to be a holiday horror film. But there's nothing wrong with having a holiday horror film that has scares or tension. You know, P2 or Parking Lot 2 or whatever, you know, whatever you want to call that movie. You know which one I'm talking about with Wes Bentley and Rachel Nichols. That's a holiday movie that's got some great tension. This movie doesn't even have that going for it. Like, it, it, there's no tension. Like, you don't feel tense. If anything, you know that the elf is stalking and you're like, uh-oh. What kind of funny kill are we going to get this time? You know? And then there's my point number seven, which just makes this story even more batshit nuts. Nazis. We just had to go there, didn't we? Um, And, I mean, this movie has all this talk about the master race. And, I mean, we're talking about, like, even at the beginning of the movie when the girls are doing their little anti-Christmas ritual. Not anti-Christian, anti-Christmas ritual and they're talking about how women are the master race and then you got these nazis that they want to create these supermen things and they want to be the master race and the whole batshit idea of you know breeding a woman who is born of incest yeah that's the creepy factor with the fucking grandfather (laughs) um and you're gonna take that woman you're gonna take an elf and you're gonna have them you know do this selective breeding thing to make a superior race Nazis. <laughs> Do we really like? I don't know. I, I, apparently, we think Nazis were that fucking crazy. I mean, they probably were, but that's a whole another story. And the other thing, sort of ties in with point seven. I mean, I guess maybe this is seven slash B. How are these elves supposed to enhance the superior offspring? Like. Because they don't do much in this movie except going around stalking stupid people. They kill a perverted mall santa by gouging out his crotch which even at that like it's kind of funny i'm laughing because terrifier 2 apparently there was a scene that one of the characters gets his crotch ripped off and they were going to make it more graphic than it was 
And they were like, oh, we had to dial it back. And then I'm looking at this movie like, you didn't do enough. Like, <laughs> you're supposed to be stabbing the shit out of this guy's cock. And it just looks like a, a, a rubber hand holding, like, a scalpel-like knife just jabbing in the air at red pants. And I'm like, it's not scary. <laughs> it's funny. Not scary. Um, and then, I mean, the rest of the movie, the elf is going around killing others because, well, you just happen to be there and I'm feeling stabby today. Like, I, So I don't know how those elves or elf in this case, are supposed to enhance this supposed master race they want to create when the creatures themselves seem pretty one-dimensional and dumb. <laughs> I don't know. Um, I'll move on to my final point. Point number eight. Originality. And here's the thing. As much as this movie is meant to be a ripoff of Gremlins, at the same time, it's fucking great. <laughs> I mean, if only Joe Dante had incorporated Nazis into his Gremlins movie, had one of them try to mate with Phoebe Cates. I mean, we're talking Schindler's List quality of fucking Academy Award winning material here, kids. Like, no, we're not. But <laughs> I mean, honestly, can you imagine it? Because Phoebe Cates did. Fast Times at Richmond High, and she had a nude scene, so why didn't Joe Dante do that? I mean, his first film, Gremlin, the first Gremlins, was kind of not meant for kids. It was a scary movie. Um, it was scary. See, there you go. Like, something that's missing from elves <laughs> that was in Gremlins. It was scary. Uh, but if only, if only Joe Dante had come up with this idea of Nazis. No. I'm glad he didn't. Let let me put that out there right now. I'm glad he didn't. But still, I do want to give Elves credit for going all in on a fucking absurd idea and doing the best they could with it. I mean, this is a god-awful holiday farce. And at the same time, it's practically a cult classic. It's one of those movies that's like a cult classic amongst Z-grade movie lovers. But... It's one of those movies where, like, every year when I see it talked about on the internet and whatnot, you do see people saying, when are we getting a Blu-ray release of this? When are they? We don't even have a DVD release of this. Like, how, where do I find the VHS? I don't have a VHS player. How do I watch this movie? There are... Folks, it's on YouTube for free. Okay, just go to YouTube. Uh, VHS quality, but you can watch this movie on YouTube for free, and it it doesn't have any signs of being taken down at any time soon. Uh, <laughs> probably because IMDb has this thing sitting at a wondrous 4.1 out of 10 rating with four and three being the two most rated values. User reviews for this movie are a riot. I mean, I laugh at like you, you see a, a user review and they give it like two out of 10, but then you read the review and it sounds like they're almost glowing about this movie <laughs> because it's so bad. I mean, even the bad reviews still have some generous comments about this movie. Um, Rotten Tomatoes has it at 30% rotten. I'm not surprised. No established critics, you know, no Ebert or Siskel or no New York times review about this, at least not on the internet. Anyways, like none of them had anything to say about this movie, which I almost feel sad about. Because even if they had bashed the crap out of this movie, it would have at least meant they watched it. I feel sad for it. It's like Roger Ebert didn't even think you were worth the time to watch you. It's like, 
oh, it hurts. Where's the Christmas spirit? Podcast zero rating. This is a bad movie, kids. <laughs> it is a bad movie. But I've been asking all episode, is it charming? Do these bad elements give it charm? In my opinion, yes. It's charming. In its very slow-paced, drudgy kind of way. Because it is also a slow-paced flick. Like, for a good portion of the movie, not a whole lot happens. But I do like that the story is definitely a no-fucks-given attempt to create something new off a stolen idea. Because, let's face it, they were trying to cash in on that Gremlins idea. But then they threw all this other batshit crazy stuff into it, and it worked. I mean, okay, you know, Ghoulies and Critters, they tried it too. And the title of Spookies would lend to that idea as well, even though Spookies was really its own kind of thing. But, I mean, it's two films in one kind of thing, actually. But, um, but yeah, as much as this thing is trying to cash in on Gremlins, it still, still seemed kind of fresh in its own way. I mean, stupid. I mean, you got weird stories with Nazis and incest and a brother. That's the other thing. The little brother, you know, like checking out his sister so he could tell everyone that his sister had big tits and he had seen them. What? <laughs> it's fucking weird. Uh, this film is probably better viewed with friends and alcohol. Definitely alcohol. But if for whatever reason you have a nostalgic attachment to this thing, like me, it could be a ridiculous addition to your holiday festivities of watching Xmas horror flicks like some of us do. Um, my rating for this movie, 5 out of 10. And I'm being nice because I'm kind of feeling the holiday spirit this year. Again, second year in a row, I'm kind of feeling it. I don't know why. It's kind of it, probably because I'm so tired of everyone being against it. It's like now I want to be for it. <laughs> it's like, yes, welcome Christmas. Yay. Um, but yeah, it's a, it's a five out of ten. It is because as much as I laugh at this movie and I nitpick this movie and I sit there and go, what the fuck every year? That's the thing. I watch it every year. And I did. Like I said, as much as I got it out of a fucking thrift store for $2, I did see it on DVD and go, I know this isn't official, but mine, like, <laughs> for what, you know, it, it had that appeal. It was just enough for me to say, okay, I'll add it. Um, it yeah, it's, it's a 5 out of 10, kids. It's it's that kind of movie. It's fun in its own way. I, I, it's bad. <laughs> Let, let's just end it off with it's bad. And on that note, thank you for struggling through me talking about this bad movie. Um, no, thank you for listening, guys. And thank you for sticking around. I know. What was it? Four weeks I was gone? Three weeks? Whatever. Yeah, I know. I disappeared for a bit. Needed the break. Wanted to enjoy everything else going on. TV shows, football games, you know. Board games with my friends. Did that. Uh, went and saw a Christmas light display out in Amherstburg. Um, that was kind of cool, actually. It was weird. It, I, like I said, it's kind of second year in a row. I'm kind of feeling the Christmas thing going. I don't know. Maybe it's because I know we've got the mean one and, you know, Christmas, bloody Christmas. And 
Violent Night coming soon, and it's like, wow, that's three movies, all with some blood, guts, and gore, and taking place at Christmas. I'm happy. Uh, yay. Get your little noisemakers and celebrate the year. Ah, it's kind of cool. Yeah, and then what was the other one I seen? There's a New Year's movie coming out. What is it? New Fear's Eve, I think it's called. And it's supposed to take place on New Year's Eve, and I'm like, can never go wrong with a New Year's Eve movie. Um, yeah, New Year's Evil. I reviewed that one. You guys remember that? Because I ripped Grant Kramer a new one. They're being really bad actor. But see, you know what? That's the thing. If we didn't have really bad actors, we wouldn't have these movies. And these movies, they just work because of the bad acting. Partially. Uh, so, yeah, that's that. All done, kids, for this week. Anyways, there will be another episode next week. And as you probably realized, I'm going into the festive films now. So next week will be another Christmas movie review. Yeah, Christmas and horror. They go hand in hand quite well. I, what, what, what was it? One of my friends even said it. He's like, you know, Christmas is one of the scariest times of the year. And I'm like, you're not wrong. <laughs> I've seen the way people shop. Um yeah so anyways thank you for coming back you know where to find the show spotify apple Podcasts, google all the different streaming apps podbean fm player and all of them their podcast addict is another one um on social media facebook instagram twitter twitter everybody keeps saying oh twitter is gonna die twitter is going up in fire i have yet to see it honestly i I haven't been on my Twitter account very often, but I mean, like when I go on, I'm like expecting to see like all this like hate and anger and stuff. And it's nothing more than I didn't already see. Let's put it that way. But I mean, Twitter already was a cesspool of shit. And all these people are like, oh, I, I've seen celebrities that are like, well, if I'm not here tomorrow, here, you can find me on these other accounts. And it's like, but why, why would you leave? Like, so what? So some people are assholes. <laughs> Welcome to the world. Um, I don't know. I, I haven't seen this Twitter, you know, going out of business thing that everyone thought was going to happen when Elon took it over. Who cares? Who cares who fucking owns it? I don't care. Who cares what rules are in place? And people are breaking the rules all the time on social media anyways. I don't get it. I don't know. What, but I guess it, because I'm that guy that social media isn't one of my highlights to my life. So maybe that's why I'm not seeing it. Maybe it's because I'm not following the right people. I don't know. What what basic people could I follow that would let me see this Twitter fire that everyone keeps talking about? I don't know. I, I like the, I don't even like Facebook, honestly, but I like it because I can control that one for the most part. I think that's the only... It, and I mean, let's be honest. Facebook has its you know slew of assholes as well, but at least I can control that for the most part. And Instagram's just pictures. Can't go wrong with Instagram. Instagram's just pictures. Now there's the email account. What lurks behind podcast zero at gmail.com. If you don't want any of that, you don't want any of that social media shit, just email me. I do check them every day. So, Yeah. All right. That's that. Lurker's recommendation. Watch Wednesday. It's really good. I'll say that. Guess who's back? Yep. No more family-friendly episodes, so he's really eager to say it. I'm going to let him. You need to shut the fuck up. You're not really Santa. 
If you were Santa, you could do magic. You want to see some magic? Here, let's watch you disappear. 